This is the Blood Red podcast from the Liverpool Echo, giving you the inside track on all the big talking points from Anfield. Well, hello and welcome to a very special Blood Red podcast from the Liverpool Echo. I'm Joe Rimmer and we are on location at Lovelock's Coffee Shop in the centre of Liverpool. It's just down Dale Street and um, yeah, we've we've made our way out the office today for a special Blood Red pod. And I'm joined by three special guests, Paul Ghost. How are we, Paul? Yeah, all good. Glad yeah. to be uh, glad to be out on location. Yeah, it yeah. makes a difference. And I've seen your little face on a, on a stream yard yeah. box. <laughs> Yeah, so, yeah. Um, yeah, or packed behind the desk. Someone said we looked like we were um, doing a job interview the other day. So um, yeah, yeah, it's well, a bit nice, a bit more yeah. casual. Yeah, area. you know, yeah. a bit, bit more relaxed. Than, yeah, yeah. yeah, we'll have to we'll have to try the coffee afterwards. If you're listening at home, by the way, and you do hear the noises of coffees being made, people coming in and out. That's um, that's just because we're on location. If you're watching on YouTube, you'll obviously see that. But um, yeah, we've got a Liverpool shirt behind us and everything that Theo brought in. How are we, Theo? Yeah, not too bad. Getting along nicely. It's nice to be out and about, isn't it? Uh, seeing the city in there. Uh, bit more detail from just our little Hall Street area. Yep, yeah, and Kiefer McDonald, how are you? Yeah, same as the other lads, really good, nice to be out, nice yeah. to see the city, yeah. you know, yeah. uh, something different. Yeah. Football's nearly back, so can't really complain, can you? Yeah, looking good. Well, we've got quite a few topics to discuss today, Gorsi. We'll start with, I didn't really know where to start today, there's that many different things floating around, so I thought we'd start with Thiago. Um, I don't think we've really discussed him on the pod yet, um, but I thought we'd have a little discussion about him in detail. Quite a few reports this week that he's tracked in a little bit of interest from Saudi Arabia um, obviously has one year left on his contract it doesn't look like Liverpool are going to renew that um, where do you stand on him what's the latest on him and what's your opinion would you would you sell him would you keep him I know you're a big Thiago fan aren't you? I mean the, the latest is Liverpool are yet to receive any kind of formal proposal for, from any club in, in Saudi Arabia we know that obviously that's a nation that's very you know, up and coming in terms of what they're looking to do with the Saudi Pro League this season. So many players already got over there, haven't they? So, it, it, you know, it makes sense that Thiago would be someone they'd look to target. You know, in the final 12 months of his Liverpool contract, he's 32, maybe one final massive payday for him. But um, Liverpool yet to receive any official offer and are planning for the season with him in the ranks. I think it was the Athletic reported this week that an official proposal has been put to... Thiago's camp directly but he's planning for the season as a Liverpool player and uh, to be honest I, I think that is is wise from the players perspective and, and Liverpool certainly um, I can see the arguments for it in terms of him being 32 years of age his wages are around about £200,000 a week he's injury prone he's not someone who I think the most he's played for Liverpool in the season is 25 games so there are arguments for offloading them for a, a, a decent fee and maybe look to reinvest that elsewhere. But I just think he's more valuable to Liverpool for the games that he can put him on the pitch for. You know, last season, a little bit of an over-reliance on him at times, which inevitably caused him to break down with those injuries. First day at Fulham, he had that hip injury then the, after Christmas, which uh, was the reason he ended up having to go under the knife for surgery last month or in May. So while I can see... The arguments for I just think he's he's better and more valuable to Liverpool this season in the ranks as a bit of a luxury player and um, that's really a compliment in football when you say someone's a, a luxury player but I just think if you can manage his minutes keep him fit he can be a, a vital asset for Liverpool this season. Okay, Kiefer. Now you're gonna have to put to bed maybe a myth here, but a rumor in our office says that you think that. Thiago is the best footballer you've ever watched for Liverpool. Is that true? No, no that, that wasn't what I said. I said um, I said it to Theo actually. Been misquoted. Misquoted. Um, top. I said I said top yeah, five. Theo misquoted. Yeah, he threw on the bus. That is Theo behaviour. 
for 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 context, I'm, I'm a 2000s baby, so might not have had some of the luxuries of you know some of the older figures in the office. But I said top five. In, if you take everything away and look at it at face value, not what they've won at Liverpool, but just purely on you know turning up to Anfield every week and watching a player, Thiago for me is you know I put him in the same bracket as as, as a Suarez really, just in terms of like you know he, he's the reason you get into football, isn't he? You know just. There's no one in the squad who can do what he does, you know, the way he breaks lines, the way he kind of drops a shoulder. I just think he's such a silky footballer. And there's been times, like, you know, when I've been watching Liverpool over the last three or four years while Thiago's been in, sometimes he does stuff and you think, I can't actually believe he plays for Liverpool. Like, he's been such a figure in European football over the past, you know, nine, ten years since he came through at Barcelona. Obviously, then went to Bayern Munich and, and kind of established himself there as, you know, a, t- a team that won, what, nine or ten Bundesligas in a row. Um, obviously, won the Champions League as well. And, and you do get that impression that, like, I mean, you look at when Liverpool signed him the year after they won the, or the summer after they won the league. I mean, if you're talking about statement signings, I think that's as big as you can get, really, going out. And, as I say, he just won the, the Champions League weeks early with Bayern Munich. Um, and I just think he's a, a joy to watch. And I kind of echo what Gorsi says in the sense of, I don't think Liverpool have any players like him. And, you know, if you're looking at it on paper, I think this season... You know, you look at Sir Bosley, you look at McAllister coming in, you look at Curtis Jones now getting a run of games. Um, you know, Elliot is a year improved. It almost feels like it could be set up for the perfect season for Thiago in terms of he can be that ultimately ultimate luxury player in terms of you know Liverpool aren't stretching him to the brink and, and kind of putting such pressure on his body to, to kind of play eight nine games in a row. When I think when it gets to seven or eight, you're looking and thinking he's going to go here. You know, if you can kind of drop him in for the big games, I mean. The one that sticks out for me during his time here is that, that game at United, uh, sorry, at Anfield against United, that 4 0, April 2022. I mean, the way he just ran the show. I mean, I'm sure everyone's seen the, the highlight reels and, and the show reels. It's, you just watch that and you think, why would Liverpool, you, if they were to sell him now at 32 with a year left on his contract, even if he went to Saudi, I would be surprised if they got a meaningful transfer fee for him. I just think, you know, in a year where they've also lost James Milner and a few other kind of you know, leaders, if you want to call in the dressing room, you know, I'm sure you can play Oxlade Chamberlain into that as well. I just think the links of like Thiago maybe going and, and people saying Henderson as well, I, I just think you've got to be careful. You know, we a lot of fans will look at it from the front and think, well, they're not playing every week, what value are they? But we know Klopp's obviously a man who looks at the bigger picture and behind the scenes, and, and that's why James Milner was playing until he was 37. You know, he wasn't starting every week, but he was such a, a vital kind of figure behind the scenes. and. Again, I'd put Thiago into that category of someone who's been there, done it, got the trophies, you know. I mean, you only have to look at what Besetic said when he was kind of coming through at the, the start of the year and how complimentary he was. Obviously, they kind of share, you know, a bit of heritage in, in terms of where they're from. Um, and then above all, I say he's a, he's a brilliant footballer. So aside with Gorsi and this and saying, yeah, I would hands off him this summer, you know, give him another, let him have another 12 months and, and then see where, so see where he lies there. Theo, Kiefer makes a good point there because obviously Liverpool have brought two midfielders in this summer. Um, there's talk of a third. It would be a big overhaul to, to perhaps sell one of their more experienced players and, and add another player in there. But is there an argument that Liverpool don't have many sellable assets? He's on a lot of money. If they're going to free up money now, now's the time to do it. Yeah, I, I can see both sides. Like Thiago is one of those few players that you could get a decent fee for him now. Like we've seen, was it Jota from Celtic? He's got 25 million. I know he's a much younger player, but from that lesser league, you'd like to think you're going to get 15 ish for Thiago if he did go and he's on a big wage. If he's available for a full season, you justify that wage. If he's not, it's can you afford that luxury? Like we've been in this situation 12 months ago with Naby Keita. He's just had the season of his life for Liverpool. And you think, oh, great, push on. If Even if he's going to go at the end of his contract, we get another year out of him. 
and look what happens. He barely kicks the ball. It's more injuries. It's more frustration. There is the argument that Klopp said before with the likes of Emery Chan, Genie Wijnaldum. It costs more to replace them. I'd rather have them in the squad than let them go and have a lesser player there. And it's, make no mistake, Thiago is one of the best midfielders of this generation of footballers. It would be really hard to replace him for a player of equal quality. But when you look at what Liverpool are doing now, it is this long-term planning. It's like they are building their next midfield. They've brought in a 24-year-old, a 22-year-old. Realistically, they're in that starting team. Fabinho's probably completing the trio at the moment, depending how he starts the season. And then it's like, if Thiago's not starting there, what is his role? Like Personally, I don't see him fitting into the new formation. Like You don't want him as the sitter alongside Trent. You'd rather have one who's a bit more of an enforcer in there, like Fabinho. And if it's back to the 4-3-3, I'd argue where he came in is part of the reason the system fell down to an extent not when they were going for the quadruple, but last year when they were lacking the legs. Because when you think of Henderson and Virginia Wijnaldum, that was legs on both sides, the intense pressing, that physicality. And Thiago is a different sort of player. Yes, he's very different to what else Liverpool have got, and that works for some games. But in other games, you need that energy. You need to be less pretty on the ball and let the, your better footballers around you, like the full-backs and the forwards, do their business and let them just be effective. It basically depends on what Liverpool want to do next, whether they want a new midfielder and if they need to sacrifice someone to bring in a new midfielder. Like if he is here for another year, you're happy with that. But if there's an acceptance that he's probably going to go at the end of his contract, do you just take a hit and plan for the future? Get in a cash um, fee whilst you can, get him off the wage bill while you can and then look further long-term. It's what is the best decision for Liverpool in terms of phasing him out or keeping him as part of the team for this success this year, but going forward too. There are two issues for me over this. I think, I find it fascinating that it's become a, a very open debate this week, you know, t losing Thiago. You know, if you're having this conversation last week before Zabar's life science, and you're having the same conversation about losing Thiago, the Bio Pro. Do you think so? Do you think so? I, I just, I think the Simon Zabarzlai has, has opened the debate, um, and I just, I just don't see. First of all, I don't think they'll get a good fee for him because he's 32, regardless of it being a Saudi club and maybe the premium that, that they pay because they're able to do it. What, what, what do you define? Sorry, as a good fee. What would you take for Thiago now? It's, it's pointless, you know that. Is nothing as if for a club like Liverpool, really. Um, but if they got 20 and get his wages off the books, I mean, that goes a long way towards the lav here, doesn't it? Or, Do you know what? I couldn't see Liverpool reinvesting it. No? No, I could see them taking a fee for Thiago and that being offset for the 95 million they've already spent. I just couldn't see them selling Thiago and then that is kind of freed up. Certainly wages-wise. I mean, they've already lost Oxlade-Chamberlain, Firmino, Milner and Cater. That's... Close to half a million pound a week, you know, based on what, what the estimates yeah. are. I suppose it would be nice this year, wouldn't it? And I'm sorry to keep interrupting you, Gorsi. If they build on what they have rather than sell people and, and take people out of the squad. I just don't like this idea that Liverpool can only have 11 good players. I don't yeah, think I mentioned no, it to you. No. It's almost like as soon as Liverpool get a bit of depth to the squad, it's like, oh, they've got to lose someone. Who's it going to be? Um, it's no surprise that the strongest squad the Klopp has had almost won the quadruple in the second half of, of the season before last. Um, and you need a big squad. You know, how serious are they going to take the Europa League? They don't want, they don't want to embarrass themselves in that and play too light a squad and get knocked out in the stages or whatever. So um, for me, it's just, it's just a, a no-go, Santiago. The Blood Red Podcast from the Liverpool Echo. 
So Thiago's staying to play in the Europa League with the kids. I was just going to say, you know, I think last season Liverpool played 50-odd games. You know, if Liverpool get it right next season, they'll want to be playing 63, 64. I think obviously be two more won't. It'll be 65 if they go all the way in all the competitions again. So that's, <laughs> that, you know, that's, that's a hell of a lot of games. And you think of the turnaround with the Thursday, Sundays, which will obviously be quite frequent depending on how far they go in Europe. As Theo says then, you know, OK, you might laugh at it now to play with the kids in the Europa League. But, you know, when you're thinking, you know, February, March time, especially if Liverpool don't top the group, and you play that playoff round, it's, you know, if you can slot Thiago in, you know, away from home on a Thursday night and you've got, I don't know, Brighton away on the on the Sunday, it makes a big difference. You know, you look at last season when Liverpool were down to the bare bones in midfield and it's fine now because he it was a kind of a sink or swim situation and ultimately he did swim, but you throw in Bersetic in there who had hardly kicked a ball for the academy for the previous season because he'd been injured and there's a lot of pressure on him. And like I say, ultimately, it, you know, Liverpool found a gem in that time of need, but there's a lot of pressure for a 19-year-old or 18-year-old, whatever he was at the time, to kind of stand tall. And, you know, when Liverpool were probably the worst they had been in, in Jurgen Klopp's kind of seven full seasons there. So, you know, it, it's not a bad thing if he is, you know, going to be a Europa League player because, as you say, you know, Liverpool need strength. And if you look at who they, they are going up against, uh, you know, I hate to bring Man City into this, but, you know, you look at Calvin Phillips last season... You know, he hardly kicked a ball. I don't think he started a Premier League game. Didn't match. It's getting an Amazon documentary, isn't it? <laughs> Obviously, nice for him. But he started one game, and that's like 35 million. And it kind of just shows what you're up against in terms of squad depth and, and stuff. And as Gorsi says, you know, people are so quick to to want to, you know, sell assets as soon as Liverpool strength. And it was the same with Jota a few months ago. There was murmurs in Newcastle and stuff like that. And it's like, all right, he might be fourth choice or whatnot, but you know, keep him around. You know, players get injured. Not everyone stays fit. And before you know it, you'll probably have 30, 30 games, 40 games by the end of the season. It's worth saying on Thiago as well that he was their best midfielder along with Bacetic before he got injured. When Fabinho was taking out the firing line, Henderson was taking out the firing line, he was the one who was playing every, every week and he was consistent. And he maybe didn't get the praise you'd expect him to do when he's the top midfielder because of how poor Liverpool were at that time. Then he gets the injury and he's out for pretty much the season and the frustrations are back on oh, he's injury prone, he's made of crisps and it's like, oh, Liverpool better without him when they change formation. How does he fit into that new formation? He's still a very talented player. It's just he's got this set role that is maybe a little bit different to the direction Liverpool took towards the, the final couple of months of the season. Like if you're grinding out a game last year, you bring on James Milne to see it out. Next, this year, you'd expect it to be Jordan Henderson. You're not necessarily throwing on Thiago to dive into challenges but you do send him on to keep the ball to take the tides that way. He does offer something a little bit different. But as I said before, you're thinking long term here. Do you want someone who's on big wages and you're probably only going to get fit for half a season to be that fringe player? Is that a luxury Liverpool can afford to have? And you have to take stock as they're doing at the moment, seeing who else is available, seeing who else they want and then see where he fits into it or if he needs to be sacrificed or if he is a player they can afford to have for another season as part of it, even if it's just for... 30 games and hopefully have an impact the same as he did in the quadruple year yeah well a good squad um, helps a lot doesn't it and, and regular listeners to this pod will have heard me talk about Robbie Keane you know time and time again I always think that Liverpool selling him halfway through a season was one of the strangest decisions and potentially cost them the title so um, I won't go through it again but we will talk about Henderson and, and Fabinho who I think along with Thiago I, I just wonder the three if you can briefly tell me how do you think that all three of those players will fit in next season. Where do you think they'll play? What what sort of position? How many games? That sort of thing. Uh, I, I think Firmino's the only one who's who's now a a first first choice, almost nailed on. I think Zabaslai will play ahead of Henderson more often than not. You'd imagine. Um, 
I'm not convinced that Fabinho's over the, the worst of the, the hump, if I'm honest. Um, he was he was decent in the last sort of 10-11 games, but you know the 30-odd that preceded that, he, he was he was really struggling. Um, so I hope I'm proven wrong on that, but I'm, I'm not convinced that he is back to what he was three, four years ago. So that that's a big question mark for Liverpool's midfield this season, but certainly he's, he's probably the one who's most likely to play out of those three more often than not next season. Yeah, uh, kind of the same. I think obviously Sibos, like we haven't seen him yet and obviously he'll join up pre-season next week, but you know, you'd expect him to take that kind of right centre midfield spot and you know, if Liverpool are going to kind of go with this thing of the two number 10s, he obviously suits that more than Henderson does. I think naturally, I think a lot of people probably expect Henderson to succeed the James Milner role, if you like, you know, maybe do a bit of right back, maybe here and there. Again, probably still rack up 30 appearances over the course of, you know, all four competitions, but, you know, it'll probably be a drop-off in minutes than he has done over the, you know, probably his whole Liverpool career, to be fair. Um, and Thiago, it's a difficult one with Thiago, isn't it? Because, as, as we've just said then, it, it depends kind of what he's viewed as internally. Um, you know, do Liverpool want to, you know, give those minutes to Curtis Jones after he's kind of kicked on last season. And the interesting thing now, we've, we've to not take it away from Thiago, but with Curtis Jones, he'll miss a few weeks now because of the Euros, I imagine. So does that put Thiago ahead of him in the pecking order for the first couple of weeks of the season? Um, and if he, can, if he can stay fit, you'd, you'd imagine he'd, he'd probably be, as Theo says, if you need someone to come on 60 minutes and kind of break down a low block or something like that, you could maybe bring him on. Um, but as Gorsi says... Pr- I think Fabinho's the only one you look at now and think he gets into the Liverpool's strongest eleven, And I don't think that's necessarily on his own merit. You know, OK, he was better when Trent was alongside him last season, but I think that's because Liverpool lacked the profile of, like, another, you know, natural number six. And obviously that's why the links of Flavia have kind of come out in the you know, past couple of weeks. And so I think it would be unfair to, to kind of label Vesetich as a star at this kind of age of, of his career. So I think Fabinho's the one kind of hanging on to that place. But I wouldn't be surprised if we're in, at Christmas and, you know, that landscape has completely changed because, you know... It, Fabinho's got a lot to kind of prove and what has he got now two years left on his contract I think or two I think so two years yeah so you know so you're looking at you know if he doesn't pick up this season there's probably a real and open honest conversation next year of you know the Liverpool kind of part ways and move on with him so I think it is I think it's a big season for him probably the, the biggest out of you know in terms of apart from the new signings I think it's, it's probably the, the biggest out of the, the old lot yeah, I'd go along with what the other two have said there. Fabinho is the one at the moment who is the starter, but that's because they don't have a natural number six there to replace him. Like if we're two, three years down the line, you may be looking at Pesetic to come in and he's the think, first choice. I'm just thinking about that. Do you think Pesetic is his... I, I see Pesetic playing a little bit further forward. I'm seeing being that sitter like Fabinho is. Uh, it's one where we've got to see what role he develops into like don't forget when they signed him for Celta Vigo he's a centre-back and he didn't really play for the under-21s he just went 18s impressed in pre-season was in the first team and he didn't have much time as a, a number six but he can do the role he had a few games as number eight for that extra protection but he's probably one of the players that suits the new formation but you are looking at Fabinho and saying what does he do next is it a case of he was knackered last year and he was performing poorly along with so many of his teammates but in a better Liverpool team with legs around him, you get more of the uh, best out of him. Like if Trent can get into his new position and we see him have such an upturn in form, Fabinho did to an extent as well. So maybe there is life left in him. But if we're talking we're in September, October, and he's still below par, it's a gamble that hasn't paid off. And we've seen Liverpool take these gambles before, like not signing a, a centre-back to replace Dejan Lovren or sticking with what they had midfield-wise last year. And we saw injury crises and you're falling short there. There isn't that natural replacement for 
Fabinho. Henderson can do it, but he's not. And there's question marks over him as well, which we will get to. Like, he's fine as this bit part player, but it's still big question marks over Fabinho's head. But as Liverpool are doing at the moment, they're taking stock. They've signed two midfielders. Not They're weighing up what they want to do for a third. They're still, what, over a month until the season starts. You look at Fabinho in pre-season. You look what he does in all their fitness tests. You look what he does in the friendlies. He's not been away with Brazil, I don't think. So he's had the full summer break. He's going to be there on day one. And then you say, are you washed up here? Are you declining? Or can we look to get you back in that starting eleven, back to your best? I always compare it to someone like Fernando Torres. Like there was such a shock when he went for 15 million, but the murmurs behind the scenes were Liverpool knew he was on the decline. They knew it was one injury too many, and he was spent, and they were delighted to get that 50 million for him and sell him where they can. There are big question marks over Fabinho's head, but if he rises to it, he's still in that starting eleven. And then Henderson takes the middle in a roll, comes on to see out games. Thiago comes on to control possession. You're happy for them being these backup roles for the squad because really, if you look at McAllister being injured or a Sabosai being injured, for me at the moment, Curtis Jones is the one that comes in to start. Yeah, I mean, I, I, I don't buy into this. Fabinho is on the decline; he's on his way out. Type type thing. I, I, you know, we don't have those conversations. He wasn't the only one who had a bad season last year, and we don't have those conversations about Van Dijk. You know, but no the, one's talking about Van Dijk. The, the thing I'd counter with that. Sorry to interrupt, Joe. Is, is I would say. I think Fabinho is a position where if he's off his game... Yeah, yeah, take that. He yeah, makes Van Dijk yeah. worse, he makes Trent worse because that protection But doesn't it is, work both ways? Well, if you're looking at it from a defensive point of view, you know, if the person in front of you isn't doing their job, yeah. you're going to face more shots, more tackles, yeah, more dribbles, yeah. you know. The Blood Red Podcast from the Liverpool Echo. But, but we've seen in the past Van Dijk do some exceptional things and get Liverpool almost out of, out of danger on his own. Is that, you know, he's not doing that as much anymore. So the Fabinho's, you know, he's not infallible as he's made mistakes in the past. And I think it would be interesting to see whether with fresh legs around him, whether we start to see him play better and perhaps the spotlight not on him as much. Just just the same for Van Dijk and others, um, you know. So it should be an interesting one. We will talk Curtis Jones then. He was man of the match last night for England under-21s. We'll, we'll stay with you, Theo, because we know... The three lines are on your chest. So I'll say now um, I didn't watch it. It's only on your A4 website, yeah, isn't it? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, you were there. Red you can see his massive face. bulldog tattoo. <laughs> yeah, yeah. But, but, I mean, man of the match last night is really impressed in this tournament. And I know this will set the, the Twitter people off, but, I mean, Liverpool linked with all these players at the under-21s. Curtis Jones has been playing every, every game, been playing really well. Um, I mean, he, he obviously had a tremendous end of the season last year for Liverpool. Like you say, we're probably coming back a bit late. Um, and I almost feel like people are counting him out a little bit. McAllister's come in, Sabozlai's come in. What sort of roles do you think he'll play for Liverpool next season? And is it make or break a little bit for him next year? I think he's got a stay of execution almost for how well he's played these last few months. Like, if he hadn't had that end of the season, you are saying this is make or break for him. But now we've seen the talent in there. Like He just needs to stay clear of the injuries. And they've said themselves, like Klopp and Jones himself, how much the injuries impacted him, how he couldn't train properly because they were doing the uh, the Champions League games in midweek. So he didn't get that full week in training so they could get him back to his best. But then when he got that, we saw him flourish. Like He was, as much of Trent, key to the new formation working. 
and it's one where if McAllister or Sabosla take a little bit of time to settle, take a time to get used to the, the demands, he's the one you put in that starting eleven, and you can know you can do that left-sided role really well. It suits him really well. But as he's shown with England now, he can do this deeper role as well. He's gone viral a few times for some of the passes he's picking out. A little no-look pass, didn't he? Yeah, the no-look no one it's pointless yesterday. pointless skill in football. But, yeah. <laughs> there was the, the amazing through ball he did basically from the halfway line in one of the group games. And he's just looking like a player who's confident. And when he's confident, nothing can touch him. Like, he's just gliding through midfields. He's having more touches than any other player. He's playing more passes and completing more passes than any other player. More take-ons. Like, you look at all the statistics here. I know that it's a bit boring for some when you have to break down his performances like that. But he is top of all the charts. And you think, well, this is what Klopp wants in this midfield. If Liverpool, if Liverpool was signing him from the under-21s, people would be raving, wouldn't they? Yeah, if he was foreigner playing for Nice or something costing 40 50 million he'd be one of the ones who's top of the list but he doesn't have that acclaim about him because he's been in a struggling left midfield he's from the academy so you take him for granted he's not had the quite the rise of Trent who just went from strength to strength he's had a few knocks along the way but most players have a, a few knocks along the way it's only really what Michael Owen you think of Premier League history, Robbie Fowler, that just got better and better and better rather than having to take time out. Like even Steven Gerrard, he had a few poor moments before he And quite similar that to, to Jones, he had those growing pains almost, yeah. if you like, didn't he? He had strange injuries when he was young. But yeah, Jones, he is one to watch, isn't he? Like it is tough for him in the sense of when he gets back for pre-season, we're on the eve of the, the campaign, the new signings have had time to settle but he's still playing with confidence. And that's something we haven't seen him from him for a couple of years now because of those injuries. And it's just one where he's been rated so highly, so versatile. He can do so much in that midfield. You can put him in the front three. Now we're seeing him play deeper. He is very much part of this midfield going forward. Uh, he's ahead of Elliot in the pecking order and all these other ones. He's ahead of Pesetic in the pecking order. He is that proven one. He's in his mid... Well, he's coming towards his mid-20s. He's 22. He's not a kid anymore. And I know you're saying you're aging him up there. <laughs> I know you're saying it's make or break, but it's not make or break. It's now you are you are part of the first team. You're a first team midfield option. You're in the same bracket as Sabosli, as McAllister. Go and prove it. And what we've seen for the last two three months, he is. Yeah. Kiefer, it wasn't that long ago he couldn't get in the squad. Um, but what, what do you think? Is it is it a case of eleven performances yet? But there are eleven games, and perhaps we're getting overexcited about him, or or do you think that he can kick on? I think he can and I think you only have to listen to the way he speaks he's always believed in himself and you know footballers are always going to back themselves aren't they but I think sometimes you can kind of see through those holes and, and maybe think you know maybe he's putting on a front but I think whenever he spoke to you know Gorsley or Doyley in the mix zone this season you always read what he says and he speaks very well but I think the biggest thing for him now is that I will say is I feel that there's a bit of clarity on his position I felt like for a lot of years he was I didn't really know what he was you know he was kind of yeah he was a left-sided midfielder but you didn't know if he was going to drift into that attacking you know, kind of left-sided spaces, or, or what he was was he was he a ten playing as an eight? Or but see now with England, he's he's playing in a double pivot with Angel Gomez, isn't he? And I think obviously England can get away with it because they're the best team in that tournament on paper by far. I mean, saw a stat this morning that team cost you know 250 million in transfer fees, so there's probably no danger of them losing the ball. They can play out. They've you know they got that bit of luxury, but I think even when you watch him towards the, the end of last season with Liverpool, you could kind of see what he was what he was going for and I think that helped his case because you could see that he was obviously targeting those kind of those back post runs he scored the goal against Tottenham the one the first against Leicester was they were two very similar goals um, but I think for so many years before that people were just unsure of what Curtis Jones was and maybe that's because he came through the academy as a bit of a flamboyant winger who you know was obviously the best in his class and 
I remember years ago when, when Gerard was 18, he, he, he made a few comments about maybe even going back and that side of his game, whether he had that in his locker. But, you know, you say now he probably does both sides of the game equally as, as, as good as one another. So I think that's been a, a big bonus to him. And I think that's obviously bought him a bit of time. Now people can kind of buy into that vision of, you know, maybe it might not be Thiago's long-term successor, but you can definitely see similarities between the two. You know, Theo's talking about some of the passes that have gone viral during the tournament. They are very Thiago-esque in terms of, you know, breaking lines and, and deep low blocks and stuff like that. So I, I, do, I do think it is a make, a make or break year for him because I think if he doesn't get the game time that he wants this year after, you know, breaking through last year, at the end of the season and obviously having this tournament he probably will maybe think well I'm going to go I'm going 24 maybe it's time for me to kind of get games under my belt but I mean he's played nearly 100 games for Liverpool in, in probably one of the best eras of all time I mean that's that's you know it's no mean feat so you know, I think people just need to I think people maybe expect too much at times and that's you know maybe I think he's been uh, judged unfairly at times John you know, he's a scout so he's Liverpool you know Obviously, obvious comparisons to Steven Gerrard, but I think obviously the development he's made over the last five, six months while being fit, I think you know, it's only going to set him up for a really big season, hopefully. It's a good point about saying he was top of the class. Like we've done between us a number of interviews with the, the younger players who've come through the academy ranks or have moved on, gone on out alone or whatever, and all of them from that era say Curtis Jones was the best player by far. He was just naturally gifted but he worked so hard to make sure he stayed at those levels as well. And you think of all the talented youngsters that have come through Liverpool ranks and had first-team minutes, how many of them have actually stuck around in this Klopp era? It's just him and Trent. And Trent is a generational talent. No one can compare to him, the same as no one could compare to Gerrard 20 years ago. But for Jones to be that next one, who's still a big part of the squad, played over 100 games, as Kiva's just uh, said there, it's not like... Nico Williams or all the other fringe ones that come in have a few games and you're trying to sell them on for a profit there is something there of the package of Jones from being part of the first team pitcher he just needs to stay fit and get the games to actually showcase his ability so hopefully he can push on from what we've seen but he's always been highly rated I thought Kiefer made a good point on um, the formation Gorsley do you think this formation has really helped Curtis Jones because like I mean Leicester away for example him arriving late scoring that goal that is the, the player Liverpool fans want to see isn't it yeah, I mean, I suppose it's a decent sample size now. Curtis Jones played 11 games in a row towards the end of the season. It's a third of a season, pretty much, isn't it? Um, kind of come back into the team because Klopp was fuming with how everyone played against City in the game before when they got beat 4-1. But, you know, he's kind of built on a little bit of fortune there and really started to establish himself on the left of that midfield. And I think, you know, a thing that he's got going for him is he scores goals from that position. He scored four and 11, didn't he? Which... I think maybe only Harvey Elliott scored more last season as a Liverpool midfielder um, so that is something that bodes well because Liverpool don't typically tend to score too many from and, the field and it's and something they're looking for with um, yeah. Subos Lyon and, and McAllister Definitely, isn't it so. yeah, yeah so um, yeah I, I mean I'm not as, as convinced that it's a make or break season but um, just be nice to see him really build on the end of last season and the summer performances with the 21s with England and go from there I don't think he's going to be a starter anywhere near as often as he was towards the last you know the back end of last season but certainly a, a serious option for Liverpool with, with the Europa League and whatever else coming up We'll just talk quickly about Harvey Elliott Ghosty I'll stay with you um, because he's another player who just like you said scores goals I think the new formation should suit him um, but 
I mean, make or break seems a bit much, but is it is it a big season for Harvey Elliott? I mean, he's played a lot more than Jones, hasn't he? He's, he's been involved quite a bit, but I think his form has sort of come and gone a little bit. Um, and with new players coming in, is it does he really need to stake a claim this year? I think he, I think he was a little bit of a victim of circumstance, to be honest, last season with the general drop-off. Um, you know, at Liverpool at their best, you know, if they're capable of dropping in a young player like Elliot and an experienced player and he can learn his development in that team that's thriving and flourishing, then I don't think we're having this conversation. Um, he's, a, he's a really interesting player. I think he's a different type of option. I just don't think he needs to be playing 40 odd times like he did last season. Um, I think it was only the Chelsea game in the start of April. It was the first game that he wasn't involved in all season. So that's probably too much for a 19-year-old at a club like Liverpool, especially when results have dipped and forms dropped off across the board. Um, he was he was superb in some games. United at home, Tottenham away, just off the top of my head. And he's a different type of option, just maybe not... Maybe used a bit more sparingly. Maybe, you know, in a kind of opposite way to Thiago, you know, put him in at certain times, certain games, um, and then slowly but surely he'll, he'll build on what he's what he's able to do. He's only 20, to be fair. He was only 20 in April, I think. So he's got years on his side to, to prove himself. And um, it's, uh, But I just think if the midfield isn't as reliant on him, I think maybe then we'll start to see, you know, start to fulfil his potential a bit more. The Blood Red Podcast from the Liverpool Echo. He's starting the Europa League games, isn't he? So he's going to get some starts. And he's still this alternative to Salah as well, which they're going to need at some point this season with the Cup of Nations. And as Gorsi said, he's 20. He's so young. Like, we've been having these conversations for Jones for two, three years now. And Elliot was ahead of him at that stage of his career. So it's one where you just give him a few games here and there, a few starts, squad appearances, learns his trade. He's very much part of the, the next generation. You think he's coming into his peak years as Henderson, Thiago and Fabinho take that next drop off. So yeah, he's definitely a talented player. All young players have those up and downs and Liverpool get the best out of him at some point. It's just finding that top form again, which was a bit lacking. It's just as he dwindled a little bit in game time is when everyone else rose and that's why maybe the questions are about him now but even though he's not been a starter for England we've seen his, all seen his goal against Germany it was absolutely superb running half the length of the pitch he's another one he's got that confidence about him that aura about him and if he's doing this at 20 you just want to see him develop a bit more and become that more of a senior option years down the line It'd be nice Kiefer sorry go on you, you can, it, was, it would be nice to see him and see Liverpool be able to rotate a bit like Pep does, you know, in, not just in terms of personnel for different games, but in positions as well, because Elliot's played, like you say, Salah replacement. He played out wide for um, Blackburn, didn't he, when he was on loan there? Definitely, and I think it's, it's also worth remembering that this is, his, well, last season was his first full season as a Liverpool player. Obviously, he had that, that first year, but that was the COVID year, and he was, you know, kind of dropped in and out between the 21s, as it was, and, and the first team. Obviously, he went to Blackburn the year after, and then last season, obviously, got the injury at Leeds, didn't he? So he missed... I think he only played two times after that when he came back. So, you know, for a first season, you know, playing 45, 50 games, however many he played for Liverpool last season, again, is no mean feat. And I think there's a, as we talk now, there's a, there's a difference in kind of churning out games. He's, he's gone through that part. We know he's durable. He doesn't really pick up many injuries. I think now will be, you know, as Gorty says, you, you know, you're looking to maybe aid his development and think what other maybe looking at the fixtures and thinking what are the nice games we can drop him into and where he can kind of really sparkle and, 
But I mean, you look at Liverpool's best performances at, at home last season, and he was kind of a, a permanent fixture in the midfield for all of them. Um, you've got City back in October. You've got United the seven 0 Tottenham. I think he, he played, started the four three as well. Don't think he started the Arsenal game, but you know, if you're looking at the, the three or four, you know, big home, you know, games last season, you know, he he, he was on the on the the right hand side of midfield all throughout. So I think that obviously is a testament to kind of what Klopp thinks of him, but also his maturity to kind of handle those big games and big occasions. Yeah. All right, Gorsi. Well, the, the Reds return to training on Saturday um, and it'll be the first day where they do all the, the tests and they, you see them all hooked up to the, the treadmills and all that. Um, is it the lactate test, is it, on, on Saturday? Yeah, that, yeah that. it normally is, yeah, day and one. James Milner used to be the king of the lactate test, didn't he? No, no one could touch him. Who, who do you think? Was it was it Trent that came second last year or perhaps even challenged I'm not, him? I'm who not who do you think sure. he, he um, challenged him? I don't think they did it traditionally last year. Yeah. They did it a bit differently because of how it was like a short summer break, wasn't it? Because of how late the summer break started for him and then with the World Cup and everything. It's certainly the day when Andreas Kohlmeier earns his, his, his money, isn't it? Um, the famed taskmaster. Must be the day they dread. They yeah. Oh, dread. yeah. I mean, yeah. it's not like like yesteryear where they, they like go to my beater and drink 20 pints a day all summer. and Yeah, and then just... That's just ghosty. After, after, yeah, yeah, yeah. after lose two stone. Yeah, yeah. yeah I mean, they, they keep themselves... Up. In great nick anyway in the close season, not the nowadays. Um speaking to to Matt uh, Kopaniski who, who used to work for Liverpool a couple of weeks back and he, he was saying now the, the pre season schedule now is totally different for a modern professional and he was actually with Adam Lalana in Portugal at the time and, and he was doing some some end of season training, seeing Mo Salah keeping himself in good nick, hasn't seen he? Seen his abs. <laughs> he's got a gap All between his abs. Yeah. Theo can fit in there. It's <laughs> unbelievable. And Henderson as well. He's put something on social media this season. So they keep themselves in great nick, don't they? They're not going to be showing up, you know, blowing for tubs and whatever else. But Andy Robertson tells a great story, doesn't he, about uh, pre-season training at Liverpool when it was a, a real eye-opener for him and he ended up actually throwing up on the side of the pitch because of how yeah, absolutely. much um, he was getting put through I the ringer. So, um, yeah, it must be the day they all hate. But the season, with Milner gone, the, the throne is vacant for the king of the lactate test. Really, I'm actually quite excited to see who it will be. You know, that's the Bosley. Looks like a big lad. Looks very strapping. I think he's pushed him close, hasn't it? And you see that the clips in yesterday, he's not winning it. He's going the distance. And he's going to be one who's had the full summer break. He's not going to internationals. He's there day one. Maybe it's... Now Joe Gomez is time to shine. Yeah, yeah. Pretty sure Trent's um, up there as well, you know. Number, um, obviously, um, pre-season is big for them this year. Klopp's spoken um, last year about not being a very good pre-season for them. Kiefer. So this is this is key, isn't it? This is where he gets his work done, and this is where Liverpool will have the majority of players coming back. Obviously, the under-21s delays a few, but they'll be pretty happy with the squad they get back up, they don't they? That's they're it. not moving around this year as well as it's yeah. one place because I think last year was Singapore and Kuala Lumpur Thailand and Singapore yeah, yeah. yeah. so you know and, and that would have been a, a you know for a lot of players I imagine there would have been two or three years without doing that so that would have been a shock to the system you know going to a, a far flung location like that um, and obviously you can't you can imagine it makes a difference because Klopp is a man who's very set and firm in his ways isn't he of what he believes so um you know, if they, if they can kind of lay the foundations this week, starting with Saturday, and then they get a few more back, kind of coming through the doors in, in the, the days and weeks ahead, um, it should set them up quite nicely. And I think as well, the season starts a week later this year, doesn't it? I think it was a yeah, it's, it's just like a mid-August, like yeah. traditional, isn't it? Now we're instead think, of the early August. For them, last year was the seventh oh, September, seventh, sixth of seventh of August, I think last year. So that gives them another week in the, in the tank, and and obviously key as well is that the gap between the end of last season and the start of the new season isn't as short as what the turnaround was last year. So I think on paper it should be 
you know, a really good kind of five or six week period for Liverpool. I think, I think it's interesting the Klopp's taking the decision to go to the, the kind of European-based camp first before the commercial-driven jaunt. Um, it's usually the other way around, isn't it? It's usually yeah. the, the other way around, yeah, because um, just looking at the injuries Liverpool picked up last season in, in pre-season and early Premier League season, you know, it was Oxlade-Chamberlain, Jota, Canate, Henderson, Thiago, Keita, Joel Matip. And that I think, is really bad, isn't it, if you think about it? I, yeah. I, I hadn't really got my head around that, but that is really bad, isn't yeah, it? Yeah, and I, I think that's why Klopp has, has almost pulled the rank this time and said, look, now we're, we're going to Germany first, building up the reserves of fitness, we're having double sessions and everyone's getting as fit as a fiddle. And then when we go to, to Thailand, we can then do what we need to do here and there, commercially-wise, and, and uh, get out of there. Because um, I think he was really kind of burnt by, by that decision last season. So, you know, we very rarely kind of says this is my decision and this is what goes when it comes to that sort of stuff but very much seems like this decision has been taken by Klopp to say look this is not happening again OK we'll, we'll finish off uh, the pod by having a, a bit of a natter about Liverpool's rivals what they're doing in the transfer market um, Theo this is your time to shine I think to a few people um, United complete the sign of Mason Mount this week obviously a player Liverpool looked at um, it feels like now it's all said and done. Obviously, Liverpool went and got to Bosley um, in that sort of cloak and dagger deal. But £60 million for Mount. Wages of around 240000 250, a week, we think. 250000 I think, around yeah, there. Um, it feels like Liverpool have got the better deal there, doesn't it? I know Sabozlai's going to have to settle. I know we know slightly less about him. But, I mean, what, what are your feelings there on, on that deal with United? Do you um, feel like Liverpool are quite happy? I wouldn't look at it as in they've just got Saboslai against Mount you throw in McAllister there as well like it's 30 million more when you look at the combined two but it's two midfielders that Liverpool brought in very quickly they avoided a saga and they were players that wanted to join Liverpool they wanted to play for Jurgen Klopp some of the quotes from Saboslai this week I think Gorsty turned them around about he's happy to sacrifice a year in the Champions League it's like oh I'll just go and win the Europa League then it's like yes that's what we want to hear Dom a great attitude um, but you compare that to Mason Mount where you don't want to come out and say he's gone for the money or he's gone for the Champions League football. But it seems Champions League football was crucial to his decision and that is a big wage. Like He's on more than McAllister and Sabosla combined, I believe. If he'd had those at Liverpool, only Salah would have earned more than him. And Liverpool have had to take stock on what's more important to them. They didn't want a drawn-out saga. They brought in two players before Mount was even through the door at Manchester United. Liverpool can be happy with their decision. They decided to step away a while ago and it's not as though Manchester United beat them to the signing of Mason Mount. They just had other ideas. And you look back to some of the, the quotes from Klopp over the years. I think back to the 2016 ones I wrote about yesterday. I'd have put down the phone on them. Uh, I wouldn't be interested if they're saying, oh, yeah, I'll join if you're in the Champions League. Only, I think, Mario Goetze maybe is one of the few players to turn down Liverpool because they're not in the Champions League. All the other signings, it hasn't mattered to them. Like they got Genie and Alden when they weren't in the Champions League. They got Sadio Mane when they weren't in the Champions League, and they, they are getting Liverpool. What's this saying? Getting the, the train moving again. Push the, push the train. Push the train. That yeah. is what McAllister and Sabosai will be what doing. Trains does Klopp get on by the way that people need to push them. You I mean, have to get a, a good ticket. Train. I hope he's not paying for his ticket. <laughs> Pushing it as well. So yeah, like players that fit into what Klopp wants. That is what he's got, and maybe reading between the lines, Mason Mount wasn't quite buying into that. But Liverpool made their decision long ago. The Blood Red Podcast from the Liverpool Echo. Yeah, we, we had a little chat about this the other day, Kiefer, but I think it's quite interesting. Lots, lots have been made the United and Ten Hag's revolution and um, 
I'm just not buying in. I just I feel like they they've been so poor in recent seasons that a slightly above average season last year, and and it's like right there back. Um, you know, Mason Mount. They're looking for a new goalkeeper. Where do you stand on them? Do you think they're going to be? Do you think Liverpool can get back ahead of them? Or um... yeah, absolutely. I think the one thing that I kind of noticed about United the other day is it feels like there's a saga hanging over them with De Gea, which it might not seem. You know, to, to kind of people on the outside, they might think, well, you know, he's however old he is and he's passed it. You know, he's been passed it for a few years. But if you actually read into it a bit in, in terms of like there's been contracts on the table that he's signed and then they've been pulled away. I just think all of that is it, it leaves quite a musty feel about the place in, in terms of, you know, who's who's holding rank here, you know, who's offering the contract, who's pulling it away. What kind of message does that send to the rest of the squad? It's not quite a ruthless, you know, a lot's been made of Ten Hard's ruthless decisions. But it doesn't feel like a ruthless one. It feels like they're almost looking for another goalkeeper, but keeping him on the yeah, back exactly. burner. And the way he kind of handled the, the Ronaldo saga, to be fair to him, I, I thought he did that really well earlier last season. I've got a theory about that, though. I don't think he had any say in that. Do you not? No. I mean, leaving out the team is obviously a yeah. choice, but once Ronaldo gave that interview to oh, yeah, moment, 100%. the decision to get rid of him was, was yeah. above Tenag's pay grade. I, there was a pre-season game where Ronaldo left, and I think after that, Tenag had kind of had enough. But in terms of kind of... You know, getting getting stuck into the job. I thought he did quite well. There was the, the whole thing made after they lost to Brentford where he did the running with the players as well and buying into the culture, whatever people made of that. But I think I feel like you say, Joe, you know, a lot has been made, oh, he's quite ruthless. But as you say with De Gea, it's kind of like, well, they're looking at Anana, they're looking at this lad from Brighton as well, but they're kind of keeping De Gea on the side and talking to him. And it, I think if that kind of seeps into pre-season as, you know, where do you stand with all that, it's... You know that's that's a spine. You know we know as the fans we know how important it is to have a good goalkeeper. It's the difference between coming first and coming second and winning trophies. Um, and I just think if they're heading into pre-season with, you know, not sure who they're having, you know, who they're getting. Obviously, Mount's a you know a, a great signing for them. They've obviously definitely overpaid. Um, but if you you know you're handing him two hundred and fifty thousand pound a week straight off the bat, um, that in itself sends a, a dangerous message. I think. I mean, a lot was made of it. You know, last year with, with Salah when he had his contract, but. You think that was five years of service at the elite oh, level? Oh, absolutely! And yeah, he deserved yeah. every single penny yeah. of it. And you know, even when Salah first came to Liverpool, he had a contract extension within 12 months. And that's kind of how Liverpool do their business. It's like, right, you start on the base pay of you know in the excess of 100, then you might go to 200, and then you know you, you kind of get your, your big pay like Salah has. I think the Mount was, I think I read something he was on 70 at Chelsea, 60, 70 to go from that to 250 at you know a place like United, where there, you know there is egos and. Cheaper accommodation feels... too. He'll, he'll get his money here. <laughs> yeah, exactly. But that, that feels like almost a type of mistake they've that they've made, made the before, yeah. and and that Liverpool, much much to the angst of some fans on on social media, refuse to make. Liverpool just don't do that sort of thing. They don't hand out big contracts. Look how how long it, take, it took yeah. them to agree a contract with Salah for do, five well, years. Do, yeah. Dean Henderson's probably on a, the same wage that McAllister's coming in. Or? Yeah. Um, it is crazy and I'm not even sure they really need Mason Mount um, they need a number nine I, mean, um, I think they're trying to refresh the midfield aren't they but I, but I feel like I'm happier with where Liverpool are at oh, yeah. than where United are at I think uh, uh, to be fair I was saying to Theo yesterday for large parts of this year I, I thought Mason Mount was going to end up at Liverpool and then you know I think early May was kind of I think when everyone maybe realised that he was he was probably heading to United but you know look at it six seven weeks later and Liverpool you know ended up with Alexis McAllister World Cup winner um, you know, he's played over a, or around about 100 Premier League games, which is, is a good number, a good sample size. Then you look at Dominic Sabozlai, maybe a bit of an unknown quanti quantity, but he's, um, you know, where he's, 
he's impressed where he's been and I think you can kind of see what Liverpool are getting at with him and it's not as if Liverpool yes they would like him to hit the ground running straight away but they're not absolutely dependent on it you know if someone like Mount who's probably playing close to 200 Premier League games obviously you're paying for that in itself you're playing for the homegrown you know issue which you know Liverpool probably could have done with you know let's be fair um, but it is a, an enormous kind of fee for someone who I'm not really sure where his best position is um, and in terms of you know United's makeup of their midfield long term I'm not really sure how he how he fits into. I could. I, I think he would have been a better fit for Liverpool. I think if I was him, and obviously maybe I've got my red tinted glasses on, but I think Liverpool would have been a perfect destination for him. But I think at United, there's an ability maybe to get lost there. He's not going to be the creative outlet. You've got Bruno. He's not going to be, you know, the the box to box really. If they have a McTominay or someone like that, so I just don't really see how that kind of functions. But you know, obviously I'm not the man paid the big bucks to deal with that kind of issue. Let's let's extend that to Liverpool's other rivals, Gorsi. And I'm going to ask you to do all to do this quickly uh, before we finish off. But who worries you? Who doesn't? And rank them, rank them. No, well, I'm, I mean, I'm, I'm taking Man City out of it because obviously Man City. Well, I was Man just going to say, but Man City worry me just because of how how capable they are of replacing big names. Yeah. yeah. Um, Man City are up here, aren't they? Yeah. You know, like Gundogan's gone, and, and Kovacic should come in and probably just yeah. be twice as good as him. With just the way yeah. they were. If it feels like the pack underneath Man City could shuffle, and that's where Liverpool could could come in. Yeah, I mean Arsenal clearly show an intent to to um, continue the trajectory Andre, with Havertz and Julian Timber and of course Declan Rice um, they're all very good signings but they're not I don't think any of them would make me think oh I'm really hugely concerned about them but I do think they will they will be up there again next season I think Tottenham really difficult summer for them if they lose Harry Kane I think they might all almost just fall by the wayside and finish seventh or eighth next season. Seventh or eighth would be good. That's what they get this year, wasn't it? Newcastle, I think they could I'm finish not, the not bottom half. They lose Kane. Um, still not thirty goals, didn't they? Going to be as good as they were in that last season. I still think they they probably need to improve the squad personnel wise. I think they've had a lot of players playing out of the skin. You know, the likes of Dan Burns, Sean Longstaff. They're not major players who other teams in the Champions League are going to be worried about, are they? With respect to them. But we do know that they've got the finances to, to do it. Um, but generally, you know, Liverpool get the house in order. They shouldn't be scared of anyone. The two signings Liverpool have made, and if they get people back fit, Kiefer. Yeah. You, um, I think I think you only need to look at the reaction to the Sabozlai signing, and obviously complimented that with McAllister a few weeks before. I think the kind of wider reaction from, you know, away from Liverpool, I think was was one of, of course, he says, you know, if Liverpool kind of get themselves in check this season. There's no, I think everyone realised that the second half of last season, certainly the final third, that Liverpool were probably down tools within themselves. They weren't playing, you know, anywhere close they were, and you know, so many players were kind of out of form and not 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 interested. But you know, I, I said it earlier in the season that I think, you know, if you'd gone from competing for the Premier League and the Champions League to then kind of being a, in a top four, top five battle, would have been a reality check, and there would have been a few bruised egos there. But I think if Liverpool can get themselves. You know, back to where they were, and then you, you throw the two lads in there, which should have been last summer. I think Liverpool will be there or thereabouts again. I think Arsenal, obviously, are the ones who are spending the big money at the moment. But I mean, I really like Declan Rice. I think he's a fantastic player, but he's not a he's not a winner yet, is he? I know he won the Conference League, but he's not someone who's gonna. I mean, he could make the difference for them, but he's not got that proven. The next step is always the hardest yeah. step, isn't it? I think Timber as well is was he 22, 20, whatever. It could really come crashing down for him. Yeah, so. You know, he's um, another player who's probably a bit of an unknown. You know what you <laughs> what you're going to get there. Did, did, I, did I miss a joke there? 
Yeah. Do you not get well, I didn't hear what no, you said. No, 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 I'm not going to repeat it. And then obviously, I think Chelsea, a lot has been made of their, their kind of, the way they've sold in the market so far. A lot of that has also been to the Saudi Pro League, but I think a lot of people need to realise that's only to break even from what they've already spent. So I don't think Chelsea will be too busy between now and the end of the window. I mean, they could be, but it feels very much like they're trying to make up for what they did last year. Um, Apart from that, I think Liverpool will be if they again if they can get their own house in check. I think I think they'll be there or thereabouts again. Well, that you have the final word, Theo, and make it a good one. Um, who who are you worried about? Who are you not worried about? Liverpool finishing the top three with Arsenal. Arsenal have signed well. Like Kai Havertz never felt like a good fit at Chelsea. I know he scored the goal that wins in the Champions League, but they were like playing him out of position all the time. I think with Arteta, that's a good manager who can get the best out of him. Declan Rice is a very good signing. He's an upgrade yeah, like on that. the players they had before, like Xhaka, who's an upgrade on Jorginho. That is a huge signing for them. It could make a difference that keeps them in title contention rather than just one year, then you drop off. Do you know what it is for them as well? I think it's a statement, isn't it? You know, they've yeah. got him ahead of City. He only really seems to fee. want to go to Arsenal. Big fee. It's, you know, shows that they're acting... They're, they're serious. It's like Liverpool a few years ago when they had their big statement signings, went on big spending spree, going big in the Champions League. Arsenal and uh, Liverpool should be the sides that are pushing City most next year as it stands. Chelsea are a mess. don't think as it stands you can really fear them. Uh, Newcastle, I agree with what Gorsty said. Is, got... is Pochettino not the most important signing for, for Chelsea? Do you not think that... What he did he could, win at Tottenham? He could... No, but I know. No, but he's he, a top manager. He, he, he organised him, didn't he? It'll organise them, it'll make them better, but he can't help if the manager's going to go and play, um, if the chairman's going to play football manager and sign whoever he wants and say, oh, we've got to sell this player, Speak this player, James this player. Gordon. Yeah. James Gordon. So it's just a mess behind the scenes at Chelsea compared to the stability they had under Roman Abramovich. Uh, as Gorsi said with Newcastle, some players are, are really good. Like Isaac looks like he'll step on again. Wilson's just had the season of his life. Tanani looks a good signing. Uh, they've got Guimaraes. But then they've got some players there you'd just expect to be mid-table Premier League who are playing out their skins. They get top four, they've done well, but they'll have Champions League distractions. United, I think they've sort of deceived people here. Like They think they'll turn that corner because Liverpool, Spurs and Chelsea were so poor last year. If they're on their game, they're not in the top four. It says a lot, doesn't it, that Liverpool had the worst season for the past, well, certainly since Klopp was there, since Rodgers, um, and I'm really... Nearly snuck into the Champions League. Oh, the last only moment. missed out in the, in the final week of the season, by the way. And it was what? If they'd got maximum points, they'd have finished level with Newcastle. But it's just because, oh yeah, we've conceded defeat here, we're not going to do it. Yeah. And then Newcastle yeah. knew they'd done it, so they dropped points anyway. And then finally on Tottenham, they, they've made a mess here with Harry Kane if they're going to lose him. Like Liverpool knew they were going to lose Sadio Mane months in advance. So what do they do? They brought in Diaz in the January got Nunes in in the summer, had it done well before pre-season started and then had Mane gone in the middle of June. If you're losing Harry Kane now when pre-season's just about to start, you don't have a clue you're going to get him to replace him. The only signing you've made who's permanent so far is Kulisevsky, who was with you for, on loan for he's the past been 18 months. Three years. Yeah, he's 18 yeah. months loan. It's like Madison's a good signing to be fair. I think, yeah. I think he's, he's one. He's, they've probably got he's a bit not going to replace Harry Kane's goals no, though, is he? Like, Tottenham, they should have been succession, succession planning for Kane for years yeah. because he's been they've threatening to leave every, year. every summer. Yeah. So yeah, they've, if they were going to lose him, they needed to be ready for it in June before the season starts so they could get the replacements, move first, go and get a striker before anyone else does. They've left it late on, trying to fight on to hold on to him. 
and it's just going to back them into a corner and they'll have another poor season. Like, how much do we really expect the manager to make a difference? I know he's highly rated. He's done really well at Celtic, but Steven Gerrard was really highly rated at Rangers and he struggled at Villa. It doesn't mean he's going to make that immediate step up. And Tottenham have been a mess from manager to manager behind the scenes for so long now. I've got to replace Doyle here as the Tottenham manager. <laughs> no, I don't know. No. <laughs> but like, Pochettino is the only manager who's actually been a success for them for... 15 years as long as Kiefer can remember in Kiefer's lifetime Pochettino's the only yeah. good manager they've had yeah. yeah well there you go well we we will leave it there mercilessly for, for Tottenham fans um, that's all from the anti-spares pod yeah 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 it's blood red podcast um, the blood is spares blood um Thanks for listening. Um, I hope you enjoyed it from Lovelock's Coffee Shop in Liverpool. Let us know what you thought. Give us a give us a tweet. Give us a drop us an email. Joe Rimmer, uh, Joe dot Rimmer at reachplc.com. Let us know what you thought. Drop a message on YouTube. And um, yeah, we'll be back on Monday to talk uh, the start of preseason and plenty more besides. See you then. Ta-ra. You've been listening to the Blood Red podcast from the Liverpool Echo.